Hey, I'm Jason Gray. Hey, this is Sarah Gross. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. Hi, this is Michael Carr. Hey, this is Andrew Peterson, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. And this is me, so let's have some exciting music. Who is me, you ask? Well, me is Rick Lee James, and this is my podcast, Voices in My Head. We've got a great show for you this week, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. As always, I am your host, Rick Lee James, and I'm very happy this week to have my guest, Matt Michelotis, on the show. Today, as a matter of fact, is the day that Matt's new book, Into the Fray, is released, and it's a really good book. I had the the privilege to be able to read it a little bit of advance, uh, in advance of the rest of the public, I should say, and I really, really enjoyed it, and we're going to be talking about that book today. So, uh, so Matt Michelotis, welcome to Voices in My Head. Oh, thanks, Rick. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, the the book is great, and we're going to talk about that more in just a minute, but I'm a big fan of your podcast that you do uh, with Clay and JR, and uh, in case listeners uh, haven't heard of their podcast before, it's called The Story Men, and it's really a great show. I, there's been many uh, long car rides when I found myself listening in on the conversations with uh, with Matt and JR and Clay, wishing that I was in the room so I could talk along with them, uh, but it, it really is a great show show and so i'm glad to have one of the three story men on the show today and since you guys always start your show by asking your guests a question and the question is uh, (laughs) can you can you prove your geek cred you know what what are your geek credentials and i know i don't even have to explain that to you so i figured i would turn uh the tables on you and for question of the week this week i'm just going to ask you that question matt can you give us your (laughs) your your geek credentials not not to be confused with your Greek credentials, uh-huh. you know, but, you know. Okay, yeah. So, so you know, usually to be a geek, you have to be the expert at something, right? Like, I remember when I was a kid, and I was the expert in Star Wars. Like, I knew everything. I knew all the names of the creatures standing in the background at the cantina scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but then, like, for instance, in Star Wars, it went from, you don't have to be an expert anymore. You have to you have to like live Star Wars to be an expert now. Like you have to read the tie-in novels and the comics and play the video game and watch the TV shows and watch the prequels, which I don't want to do anymore. And you know, like all this stuff. And I was, I, I always feel discouraged. Like, man, I can't be an expert at anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, pop culture wise. But uh, I love superheroes though. Like I grew up reading comics and. Uh, so here's this is going to be funny, but uh, I decided that I would become a geek in a really non-traditional way, which is kind of geekish in itself. I wrote a superhero novel for my kids called Cape Town or Capeville, actually, and uh, it's not it's not been released. Like a handful of people have read it, maybe ten people have read it. Uh, but I gave it to one of my artist friends, Mike Corley. And he started drawing all the characters, doing all the costume design, like their outfits, what they look like, all this stuff. And then one one year for a uh, party my friend was having, I dressed up as one of the superheroes. So I did cosplay of a superhero that I invented named the Black Vulture. So that's pretty geeky. That is pretty geeky. I'm actually, I don't know if Rick, you probably didn't know this. I am the world's leading expert on the superhero, the black vulture, but no one knows him as well as I do. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he'll appear in his own movie one day. <laughs> Maybe so. I better get invited to the screening. The first one, I better have a cameo. That's right. And you know what? I never did get to talk to you guys, but you know, I, I don't think I ever got to talk to you about it. Maybe I mentioned it when I was on your show, but uh, your Mark Wade episode, speaking of superheroes, oh, whenever you had yep. uh, uh, the author, a comic book author, really, I mean, he's a writer, uh, Mark yep. Wade. He, Mark has been one of my favorites for a long time. And you know what? One of my uh, favorite things to do, just recently I started with my two-year-old son. He's getting just to where he's just about old enough where this is okay we started watching some of the old super friends cartoons oh and, fun and bef- <laughs> before he didn't have much interest but um 
there there's a version uh it must be like a special edition or something of some of the dvds the challenge of the super friends that i have and yeah. mark mark wade is on this the special features uh talking about the super friends and sort of the history behind the characters and stuff and uh, and so he has been one of my favorites it's like i could just sit and just listen to him talk for hours <laughs> and uh so it was great to have you know to be able to listen to him on you guys' show that time oh yeah that was a lot of fun jr set that up and uh yeah we i had a little trouble trying not to geek out too much when we were on that that I, episode i bet so yeah and i and i and i really like superman too so it was neat to to have all of you on the the conversation of man of steel and all that so it was great even though none of you seemed to have liked the movie it was still a, an enjoyable oh conversation. my gosh <laughs> i hated that movie so bad See, I think it would be fun to be, like, the, when the next movie comes out, you guys, l- let me just invite myself on your show to, to, be the, <laughs> to, to, be, to be the other side, because I'm, I'm one of the people that actually loves that movie, and I'm, I, I'm that one that actually loves it for, for oh, various reasons. Oh, no, there's, reasons. A, there's a strong contingent of people who love that movie. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it was better than the movie before it. Well, let, which... let me put it this way. I, I think I... I think I will love the movie based on the movie that's coming after. I I think because yeah. I I think I know what's coming and I think I know how they're going to correct some of the stuff from the first. But anyway, I've I've been a Superman guy from like my whole life, so I just had to. But you know what? We're really not here to talk about Superman because <laughs> you you have a new book. We could spend way too much time talking about geeky stuff, and that would that we've already proved your geek credentials. We don't have to Yay. do that anymore. <laughs> um, but your your new book. Let's spend some time. I'm talking about that into the fray. Yeah. Uh, these are some fantastic retellings of the the book of Acts, and unfortunately, this is the first book of yours that I had a chance to read. I didn't get to read the one uh, uh, before it, which uh, I, I guess this one's sort of a sequel to that one. And the, the I believe it's called the first time we saw him. That's right. Yeah, the first time we saw him is stories about Jesus retold as if they happened in the 21st century, like on the West Coast somewhere of the United States. So it reframes his story, uh, the parables, the story of his life, his birth, death, resurrection, the whole thing, uh, as if it happened in the modern day to try and get to the underlying emotions of the story uh, so that we experience his story the way the first century uh, people around him would have experienced it. Hmm. Well, and that, and that very much is is in the vein of the this one on the Book of Acts into the fray, and I loved it. I thought, what a, a refreshing way to like retell the stories. Because at first, as I was actually listening to the book as I was driving, I sometimes I'll I'll put my iPhone on, and in the Kindle app, there's a wonderful thing you can use on an iPhone, just in case listeners don't know, called VoiceOver. And if you put that on, it'll actually read what is on your screen, and you can bring up the Kindle app, and it and it kind of reads through the whole book for you. So I was in the car, and because they are stories, and because you're one of the story men, uh, it was neat to actually get to hear these stories. And so I felt like as I was writing, even though it wasn't your voice talking, um, it was your stories that I was getting to tell. And it was just like you retelling the Book of Acts. And I thought, well, <laughs> this is actually a really great way to hear this. Like, this would be a fantastic audio book to have. Oh, um, yeah. So, uh, so get on that. All right, finish that. <laughs> but really, I, I really enjoyed it, and I I found it very refreshing. So I I wondered if uh, maybe the best way for us to do this tonight, because it is, it really is covering like the Book of Acts, and I don't want to. I, I think I'm just gonna have to pick and choose certain parts that I found to be my favorite moments. And if there's moments yeah. you want to discuss that you found are like really important to you, um, you feel free to interject and jump in on those things. Uh, but I thought since, hey, it's my show, I'll get to talk about my favorite parts. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I would love to hear what your favorite parts are and discuss those. I'll get to ask you about my favorite parts. That's what we'll do. I do that way. Perfect. Well, I, I want to start in, um, first of all, let, let me just ask you what uh, prompted you really to to set out on this journey, because it really is an undertaking. Did you find yourself that you were running across a lot of people who had some maybe some drastic misunderstandings about what was in the book of Acts and so it was going to be helpful to try to retell it in a new way or maybe what was some of your your reason for yeah. writing this? Well, I think actually I, I work a lot with college students so I'm on staff with crew which used to be called Campus Crusade for Christ 
So I interact with a lot of college students, some of them followers of Jesus, some of them not. And one of the things that's really fascinating is that there are a lot of them who simply think the Bible has nothing to say to them. Hmm. It's not that they're disinterested. They'll read it and they just go like, well, what does that have to do with me? I don't understand. Hmm. So they literally don't see its relevance. And so one of the things with the first time we saw him and with Into the, Into the Fray was this idea of, gosh, these, these books are not just relevant. They're central to the human experience and to our experience of God and what we're doing in the world. How do we make that clear? And so it was almost this idea of can we emphasize the relevance of these things by bringing it into the modern day so that people are having an emotional experience that connects it to their world. And then after that, we walk through and explain all of the first century stuff. Cause I think that's what confuses them. Like when you have to say, here's the six things you need to know about being a shepherd to understand this parable. Like they're like, I don't yeah. care. <laughs> but if I can tell you a story that's from your everyday life that connects with you and you're like, oh, I get it. And then afterwards I say, okay, here's why the people in the first century who were shepherds had the same feeling you just had and the same insight you just had. It really alters the conversation. So yeah, that's what I'm trying to do is to say, look at the book of Acts and say, what is the what is the main thrust? What's the core idea of what the Holy Spirit's communicating to us? And how do we start there with that communication? And then fill in all the history and the theology and all that on the back end, not on the front end. Oh, very good. Well, and I I love your approach to last week. Uh, I think it was last week. I'm trying to remember when I published these shows, but uh, I had the author on of a book called The Dirty Parts of the Bible, which is uh-huh. <laughs> a great a great book. You need to check out if you haven't read it before. Um, but we were talking about one part of his book where he talks about um, one of the characters is is really um, kind of lose. Basically, the main character has lost his faith. Um, he grew up as a pastor's kid, and one of the reasons he has is because he's finding out that maybe some of the Bible stories are not scientifically provable. And uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. and one of his sort of mentor person says, you know, you're you're coming at the Bible the completely the wrong way. He said, you're just asking, is this true? And he says, some truths are so big that a story is the only way that we can even begin to describe them. You know, because yeah, because yeah. the truth says you're you're getting hung up on whether or not they are factually true versus the idea of is there truth that's trying to be conveyed. And uh, and so I think this is actually a really great endeavor in what you're trying to do and actually bringing across in a new way these stories. And and I'm not personally a big fan of like Bible movies. I I really find them, <laughs> I mean I find them to be like awful. I I would rather watch almost anything than a Bible movie because I always feel like uh, like oh no, they're it's just hard to translate, you know. For one thing, and then you're always watching it, and they have English accents, and they're sitting around in these goofy robes and stuff. And we saw one. Um, our pastor showed a clip in church from I don't even know what movie it was, but it was like a, a reimagining of <laughs> the Book of Acts or something, or or a movie of it, and it was just the upper room part, and it was so cheesy. <laughs> and <laughs> and I thought this is probably what you know the students you're talking about are thinking of when they're thinking about you know how irrelevant these stories are because. Sometimes when we're trying to convey them in film or whatever, it's just you just lose what you're trying to convey. Um, so I really like the endeavor of just making it a story, and I think you did such a great job with retelling the story. Um, so I want to go to chapter two. Uh, there okay. Was, there was a part in there that um, that I really found was speaking to me, and I, I could identify with it a lot. Um, you're actually talking in this chapter, and by the way, listeners, you should know that the book is sort of set up with um, a narrative going on, telling these stories, but the names have been changed from what you're used to in the book of Acts. So there's there's stories that are being told in the book of Acts, but it's being told in a modern way. Sometimes they have different names, and then um, usually towards the end of, of the chapter, somewhere in the midst of it, Matt kind of gives... Um, his own insights into it so that's this is sort of one of those insight parts where you're talking about um untrue uh uh, true grace and counterfeit grace really is what you've been talking about um this counterfeit grace and i'm just going to read a little bit of this part and you and have you comment on it 
Um, he says, you say I have to be careful in some circles not to share what television programs I enjoy because otherwise I'll lose status in the community uh, because missionaries like pastors should be perfect and thus lose financial support. I am leaving out the reality of who I am for the sake of spiritual status, and I'm accepting a counterfeit grace. Unlike true grace, this counterfeit grace requires me to prove my worth before I receive it. And you talk about missionaries you know who uh, routinely lie about their ministries, and they exaggerate the number of people and things like that. And yep. I, I found that to be so fascinating, and yet I could relate. It's like, yeah, I, I do understand the I, that whole way of feeling like you have to be one way with your church people and then maybe a different person in your home um you know maybe there's even family members we have to kind of pretend to be that way but i wonder if you could just talk to us a little bit about that i know that's a broad thing to talk about but it's such a powerful part of your book yeah i think well all of us want the people around us to think well of us i think is part of the issue and in the religious community, the Christian community, the spiritual community, uh, we we are tempted to try and make it look like we have it all together. That we're oh, we do this with our pastors too. We talk about that some in the book. That you want your pastor to be really good speaker, to also be good when someone's sick and they'll go visit them in the hospital and be kind, to be a good organizational leader, to be able to run a team to run a church, to be a good administrator, to be able to write a book now and then, to uh, take care of their family uh, and have children that are obedient. And you add all those things up, and what human being does all those things? <laughs> I, it's just not – I mean, it happens, but it's so rare. Yeah. And it's our expectation that they all be that way. So what happens? They have to lie. Hmm. They have to make something up to to make themselves appear to be what's expected of them. And that's what, yeah, it happens all the time at church that, uh, I mean, I do remember as a kid being told I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons, uh, and then secretly realizing by the little things that were said around me at church that a whole bunch of people were watching The Simpsons, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and why can't we just be upfront about that? Like, is is that not, is it not more revelatory of who God is to say, I'm an ordinary person who happens to like dumb cartoons about yellow people yeah. uh, that run around in a fictional town called Springfield hmm. uh, than it is to pretend that I'm Superman and God's like, you know, Jesus is essentially the, the shield you put on your chest. There's a little fish, you know? Um, yeah. Wait, and wait I think a minute. I have to stop you just a second though. Cause Springfield's <laughs> yeah. not, Springfield's not fictional. I live in Springfield, uh, <laughs> Springfield, Ohio. That's where we're broadcasting from. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Springfield, <laughs> Springfield, Ohio. You're right. Home of the Simpsons. Exactly. That's right. Sorry. Exactly. Got this. I got. I got carried away. <laughs> Sorry, I, I interrupted you. I apologize. No, I just think the idea is right. We're all afraid of being found out, so we all pretend to be someone we're not, and we look around us and think everyone else is perfect. When I think, if we would all be honest about who we are, it would remove a lot of fear and worry from the community. Mm -hmm. And it could move us more toward a place of authenticity, a place where the broken find healing. Like, what, wouldn't that be better than the broken pretending to be well? Uh, yeah, so I don't know. And I think, that's, I think that's a major issue we need to think about pretty seriously. Well, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, going right along with that, uh, when we're trying to form our identities, uh, I, it really does matter what we use, I guess, to form our identities. And, and part of that pretending often is because we want to, I, I don't know, I guess pretend that we're super spiritual. I don't. And, and the weird thing is I don't know why we get that or how we get that from the Bible. Maybe we just don't know our Bibles as well as we think we do because there's very few like overly spiritual people in the Bible, <laughs> you know, when you think about it. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean it's, it seems like God is always using these renegades and rebels and rogues and, and people who just don't have faith half the time. And, uh, and the ones that are, you know, really in tune, it seems like they meet a pretty quick end <laughs> when it comes in scripture. So, um, I, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting to me that, that we're, we're that way, that the people in scripture seem to be so real 
knowing that they need God, and and yet we we try to be like them by not being like them in some way. Yeah, well, yeah, it's really fascinating because who are the people that have it all together and are following all the rules and you know always say the right thing and are and are the gatekeepers and the ones protecting the theology in yeah. the New Testament? It's the yeah. Pharisees. Hmm. Uh, so we pattern our lives in such a way that we're creating a new Pharisaical class, but then we think that that's a sign of our spirituality, which is precisely, precisely what the Pharisees were doing, exactly. which is so ironic. Well, and and while we're while we're on that, I mean, let's talk about some Bible stuff. There's a part of your book, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read. Uh, just a couple sentences real quick to, to okay. just lead into this part of the conversation. Um, I've been thinking a lot over the last couple of years about how we handle Scripture. And you say in your book, you say, The Bible is precisely as important, beautiful, God-given, God-breathed, inspired, and useful as the law itself. Uh, the law, of course, is part of the Bible. But should I center my life on the Bible or on the righteous one who gave us the Bible. Uh, and I thought that was fantastic because I think we are in this uh, terrible mode in many of our churches right now where we equate the Bible with like the fourth person of the Trinity as mm -hmm. though as though like the Bible actually trumps Jesus or the Bible trumps God and <laughs> like God has to conform to what's written in his word you know yeah. and, and uh, I wonder if you could you know talk to us a little bit about that too because I think this kind of goes hand in hand with the idea of of keeping the law versus following the God who gave the law yeah that's that's really great Rick yeah the so a term that concerns me that gets thrown out a lot in the evangelical community, and I consider myself part of that community, uh, is this idea of being gospel-centered. Now, I remember 10 years ago, we were talking about being Bible-centered, mm -hmm. uh, and that shifted just terminology-wise. But I think, I think it's just missing the mark a little bit. To be gospel-centered means that I'm centered in this really gospel is shorthand for a theological system for mm -hmm. some people, uh, which is not how scripture talks about the gospel anyway. But let's just say that it is. Let's just pretend. To, to say that we're gospel-centered is this idea that, yeah, I'm, I'm really committed to the good news of Jesus. Hmm. But how that misses is that it's just slightly off enough that it draws us into a place that we move toward legalism rather than moving toward Jesus. Because we're constantly testing everything against the good news or looking at it through the good news instead of being focused on and centered in the person who the good news is about. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I say in the book, it's kind of like, it's like if you have a telephone and you're talking to your girlfriend or your sweetheart, Right on the other end, it's like falling in love with the phone, right? That instead was, of the person on the other side. That was brilliant. Yeah, and and I think I think that's that is what it is. Uh, we spend a lot of time talking about the gospel and not enough talking about Jesus, and I, I think that's a problem. I, I I think it's a sign of of sickness, honestly. Uh, and I don't say that in a judgmental way. I say it in a way. I, I say it in an introspective way. I see it in myself. Yeah. This desire to create a system or a belief or a network or something that makes it easier, something that makes it less relational and more here's what needs to be done. Hmm. And that's what happens when we put something at the center instead of someone. Hmm. Very good. Yeah, and I, I meant to actually say, and I forgot, I mean, your book does start where you're explaining a lot of what the gospel is and and what the good news actually is and why that word tends to make us stumble and trip you know because yeah. we don't we don't we don't say what we mean necessarily or we don't even know what we mean when we say the gospel and um it it, it actually inspired a, a post i made on facebook this morning um, was I was thinking about so many people that'll say the gospel's this, gospel is that, and I don't think we really have a very good grasp of what Jesus actually refers to as the gospel. And uh, my post on Facebook, I said it makes when I hear people talk about the gospel, sometimes it makes me want to quote the Princess Bride, uh, where where um, 
Anigo Montoya, I think, or somebody says, I can't remember which character, but he says this word you keep saying. I do not think it uh, do not think it means what you think it does. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but we do. I think we we say the words like gospel. We say all kinds of churchy words that we really don't know what they mean. And uh, and I'm really okay with the church having its own language. I just feel like the church yeah. needs to know its own language, and we need to be able to teach that. And you know, the, the gospel to one person is. You know, something like, if you pray this prayer, you'll go to heaven when you die. Uh, the only problem with that is that's not in the Bible, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. the gospel. That's not at all what Jesus was talking about. And yet we've turned that into that's the only gospel. So, um, I, you know, even when we're even when we're not talking about the Bible sometimes, because a lot of the stuff that that we talk about and believe is extra biblical anyway, but we talk about it like it is in the Bible. So. Uh, I guess it opens up this whole new where we're we're biblically illiterate while thinking we're biblically literate and we're using words we don't know what they mean <laughs> and uh, and we're treating the Bible as though it trumps God somehow um, even though the Bible came from God so it's it's really uh, um, we're, there's so many different directions we could take this conversation now just based yeah. on some things that you have written in your in your uh, book here so. Yeah, I think for sure. I think most people know that the word gospel means good news. They they may not stop to think about that, but if you ask them, what does gospel mean? They say, oh, it means good news. Uh, so what's interesting is that the word gospel itself, and this is talked about in the book, you know, it's not like the word gospel as such appears in the Bible. It's a translation. The word gospel comes from Middle English, right. comes from the word Godspiel. Which, you know, means like the good story, spiel, the good news. Right. Um, But we've purposely chosen the religious jargon over the plain meaning. And anytime that happens, anytime someone chooses jargon or chooses a less clear word, almost always has political ramifications. Hmm. Uh, And I think that's true in this case, actually. I think that gospel, the word gospel is something that we can define and use to uh, it really is used as a litmus test in a lot of evangelicalism right now are are you gospel centered yeah. are you in for the gospel uh it loses completely all its power if you say are you are you centered on the good news oh the good what what good news good news about jesus uh well yeah sure <laughs> you know <laughs> it, it changes it i think yeah. So, yeah, that's really interesting that, the, that we have consciously chosen to use the uh, less clear word. I talk about in Portland. If I walk up to a stranger here in Portland, Oregon, someone who's not a follower of Jesus, and I said, would you like to know the gospel of Jesus? They'd be like, eh, probably not, like <laughs> most likely. Uh, but if I walk up to someone and say, would you like to know the good news about Jesus? I think there are plenty of people who would say, what? You mean there's good news about Jesus? Like, what's that? Yeah. It alters the conversation. Well, and that that really is what you're telling in in this book of yours, too, is you are telling the good news from the perspective of the characters who are a part of the story, and you're telling it in a modern way. And I think that's refreshing because I think – let's say that we do ask people, let's say churchy people, our our church people, us, um, let's say we ask some of us, ten of us maybe, uh, can you tell me what the gospel is? And I think you might get 10 different answers, you know, like like because either we don't know or we have a different idea or there's this other side of it. Uh, maybe to an extent there should be 10 different answers because as, yeah. you, as you show in your book, um, this story is so big and it's so cosmic. How How wrong of us to just like water it down to one little thing like well mm-hmm. jesus jesus died so you can be forgiven and go to heaven when you die that is such a a small part or benefit of what this mm-hmm. whole good news is like to me that that's not really that great of news i mean sure great when i'm dead something good happens what's what what's it mean now <laughs> you know the idea right and so right. I, I really think that the idea of the gospel that it's so big that you get a lot of different interpretations Maybe it doesn't mean that we're telling the gospel wrong necessarily. Maybe it's just the gospel is so big that we have to tell it in a lot of different ways. Uh, yeah. And, and and I wonder, I just wonder what your thoughts are about that maybe. Yeah, I think that's a great insight, Rick. I think 
That's exactly right. The We talk about, oh, I shared the gospel with someone, or I did a gospel presentation, let's say. Some people, like in crew, will say that. Yeah. Oh, I did a gospel presentation. Um, what's really uh, good about that is that what you're saying is, I told someone some of the good news about Jesus. That's beautiful. Uh, I think the thing that's a danger is when we say, here are the three or four or six things that you must say for it to be the good news. I don't see that in scripture. In fact, when they use sort of shorthand to talk about what the good news is, the list is often different. So sometimes it'll include Jesus descended from David. That's part of the good news. Uh, or, or you'll have the Gospels, right? The good news of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The entire book is the good news. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that's really fascinating to think that I can sit down with someone in a 40-minute conversation and share the totality of the good news about Jesus is incredibly naive and insulting to Jesus. Hmm. The the good news is much, much larger than that. And And yes, it is good news that he died for us and rose again and that there can be salvation and eternal life and righteousness in this life and all those things. That's all good news, but it's not the totality of the good news. There's more to come. And... Uh, I honestly believe that the good news is bigger than what can be experienced in one human lifespan, and that really part of the work of eternity is going to be us discovering the breadth of the good news of who Jesus is and of his character. Uh, So I I don't anticipate any of us are going to get to the bottom of it in 100 years or in 2,000 years. Right. No, that's that's a great point. So I I hope that we can... You know, it would be great if we could begin thinking of the gospel in those terms, because I, I do think the gospel is so cosmic, and I'm, I keep using the word gospel, but I mean the good news, you know, about yeah. Jesus. It is so cosmic, and it's so big. Uh, we do such a disservice to it when we just make it one little thing, and I, I think we do that with people, too. Uh, we have a tendency to think of people as just one thing because maybe mm. they believe a certain way about one issue or something, and so we can't get past that, you know. And uh, there was there was a great episode of the newsroom um, where there was a, a gay man being interviewed uh, by the reporter, uh, played by Jeff Daniels. Uh, have you ever seen that show at all? Any of the I have newsroom? not. There's no. it, the the first season actually is is quite good, um, but there's a a scene where. Um, Jeff Daniels plays this reporter, and he has a gay man on uh, who's supporting a Republican candidate. And Jeff Daniels keeps kind of goading this this person who is, you know, uh, supporting this Republican, saying, "How can you, you know, support this Republican? He's not for gay rights, and this and that and the other." And it finally exasperates this this person so much. And he just yells back at him and says, I am not just one thing, <laughs> you know, yeah. I am I am more than just one thing. So I, I think it's helpful, like, to look at the gospel as much bigger than just one thing. And it's helpful to look at people that the gospel affects as more than just one thing, too. Because mm-hmm. um, you actually talk about in your book, there's a section where we try to label who the bad guy is. And uh, it's it's a great section, and I won't try to read it right now, but you're talking about if, if memory serves looking at a Facebook feed one day and, and just seeing you know a lot of Christians basically trying to point out who the enemy is, and it's the president, or it's this you know person who's a little more liberal than they are, or it's that and the other. And, and we just have this tendency to make those people one thing and not look at them as the whole person of who they are and even see them as a person that God loves and that God died for as well. So um, I thought that was a very interesting part of your book, actually. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I do think one of the themes of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit coming to his people and saying over and over, You've drawn some lines to show who the outsiders are and the people who are not going to be part of God's kingdom, and I want you to expand those boundaries. Hmm. Uh, So you think it's just the Jews? No. It's going to be the Gentiles, too, that are willing to convert. Oh, you think it's only those willing to convert? No. It's those who aren't willing to convert to Judaism but want to follow Jesus. Oh, you think that's everyone? Uh, No, it's going to be this eunuch. From over here. Oh, that's not everyone. You know that guy that's persecuting you? He'll never be a follower of Jesus. Actually, yeah, he's going to be a really powerful follower of Jesus. And there's this idea that we write people off 
when really those who are far from God may be really powerfully used by God and become a part of the kingdom. Uh, I think that's a consistent theme of the book of Acts. Hmm. That's that's really awesome. Uh, well, I, we're running out of time, and I, we've gone over a little bit from where I wanted to go. You, is it okay if we go a few more minutes? Uh, oh, yeah, I'm good. This? Okay, great. Um, there was a section in your book, and uh, I, I love because you've already said to us you're a Star Wars geek, and you like Star Wars. <laughs> and, uh, and as all good authors do, they get to work in their favorite hobby in. And uh, and I want to tell you a funny thing, but I also wanted to talk about the way that you relate Star Wars and George Lucas and his uh, his Buddhist Methodist background, okay. <laughs> which is okay. which I found very interesting in the book. Um, but one funny thing, I told you I use voiceover, okay? And uh-huh. uh, and I the way that the manuscript you sent me, which was not the published version, um, I'm sure you know this, but throughout the the book it keeps saying. Michelados into the fray, and then it has you know Baker Publishing and stuff like that. So oh, I, it would read those parts. So, yeah, too. it would read those parts, oh, and sometimes gosh. sometimes it was kind of humorous. And one of the parts I got to, I want to read to you because I I promised myself I was like I've got to read this to him because if I don't, <laughs> we're missing a good laugh right here. Okay. So I'm looking at this manuscript, and it stops in mid sentence to say Matt Mich- you know Michelados into the fray, <laughs> and it and you're talking about you know Star Wars and it says it was about a guy who runs away from home and gets a laser sword and falls in love with a princess and makes friends with a smuggler and a hairball and some robots and then learns some stuff from a wizard and then fights a guy in a black armor who is also a wizard and has a laser sword and in the end blows up Michelados into the fray. (laughs) (laughs) It was perfect. I was like, he blew up Matt Michelados into the fray? So that's really funny. It was funny because I was like, I was reading along and listening, and it was like it blew up. Michelados, fantastic! That's great. He he somehow wrote himself into being blown up. But anyway, and then afterwards he got a medal. That's right, got a medal. <laughs> well, you do talk about in your book though. You're you're talking about the way that Paul uses Zeus in the book of Acts actually to tell the story of Jesus in a new way to people who understood juice, juice uh, Zeus. I mean. <laughs> they may have they may have understood juice too. I don't know, but but the people where Paul was was trying to to bring the gospel, the good news, uh, was trying to bring this to them. There were so many gods that were around there, and uh, you talk about using Zeus, and you actually talk about Star Wars as well. And I wonder if you could just relay a little bit of that part of the book to us uh, from your memory, if it's not putting you on the spot too much, because I I like the way that you. Uh, use the two because you were talking about George Lucas and how he describes himself as a Methodist Buddhist or a Buddhist Methodist or something like yeah, that yeah. and sort of the way that the stories are kind of mixed and bleed over in the way that he wants to uh, he wants to tell the story from different perspectives so I just wonder if you could just talk to us a little bit about that part of the book yeah I think for so when I was a kid I loved Star Wars like crazy which we actually even mentioned in this podcast already mm-hmm. Uh, and one day we had someone come to our church and talk about uh, the New Age underpinnings of the Star Wars movies, which when my parents told me, they were just like chatting about it after church. I was terrified that they were going to take away all my Star Wars stuff. Oh, and no. I started just crying and telling them like, no, no, it's not true. I mean, just like Luke Skywalker. It's not true. <laughs> Star Wars is not New Age. Uh, and my parents couldn't figure out why I was freaking out. And finally, you know, came out, you're going you're gonna to build this wall that keeps me out of Star Wars because it's going to, it's going to, you know, it's evil and it needs to be kept away from Christianity or something. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. Um, but I think growing up in Christian culture, there was this often this idea that we need to stay away from pop culture and other things, especially if it has some sort of spiritual overtone or undertone, I guess, depending. Uh, And we see Paul particularly doing the opposite. Uh, When he sees spiritual things in a culture, he pushes into it, and he looks for places that they've had insights that are actually valuable and true about God. And that's what we see in Acts 17. He's doing this speech, which probably many of you are familiar with uh, the the line where he says, uh, even your own poets have said, in him we live and move and have our being. And it sounds like if you're just reading it, you're like, yeah, that sounds good. It's from a poem and it's talking about God and 
him being everywhere and us being in him and him sustaining us. Uh, but if you look at the actual poem, it's from this poem, Critica, it's called by a guy named Epimenides. The fuller quote is talking about Zeus, not about just like random God, but Zeus himself. And it says, they fashioned a tomb for you, Zeus, holy and high one, mm -hmm. the Cretans who are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies, but you're not dead. You live and abide forever, for in you we live and move and have our being. So Paul quotes this poem about Zeus, and then he purposely plucks it out, and he says, look, you said this about God. You weren't wrong. That's right, which is fascinating. And so uh, so counter to what I learned growing up in Christian culture. Right. He's purposely going into another religious system looking at it and not saying, oh, this is evil. He's saying, look, you got something right. And then he goes from there. Of course, he tells them the differences eventually. Mm -hmm. But he starts there with, yes, I agree with you. We live and move and have our being in the divine, in God. You call him Zeus. Let me tell you his real name. And he goes on from there to talk about the unknown God. And, uh, yeah, he quotes another later in the same thing. He talks about the quotation saying, we are all God's offspring, which also comes from a Greek poem. Uh, uh, and it says specifically, everyone everywhere is indebted to Zeus, for we are his offspring. So again, he goes straight after Zeus and equates him with the true God, which is, oh man, yeah, makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. I think it should probably makes us all uncomfortable. But what Paul saw there was here is a way to share the good news about Jesus and, in fact, a place where they understand something about the good news already. Mm -hmm. and why would we throw that away? Why wouldn't we use that to talk about God? Oh, yeah. Well, and if you want to you know, put it into a modern context, too, the the church has too often – and, again, I'm I'm saying this is – if I'm being critical, I'm being critical of me because I'm part of the church. So I, w I want to put it this way. But I think the church has too often um, been hesitant to, to even enter into conversation about anything except on its own terms, you know. And so we'll have yeah. things like a few years ago there was that crazy like Harry Potter book burning that churches were mm -hmm. doing, you know. And and uh, I heard somebody say one time, I think it might have been the comedian Andy Andrews, uh, who said one time, he said, you know what? He said, I, I look at uh, these Harry Potter books and how everybody's going nuts about them. And this has been years back, obviously. They said, I wonder if a better idea than burning the books. He said, by the way, a good rule of thumb is if Hitler did it, we probably shouldn't. Um, he, <laughs> said, he said, but I wonder if a, a better way to enter into the conversation is, hey, maybe I should read these books. And maybe I should read them to my kids. And maybe I should actually help them have a way of understanding the worldview in a different way than they would have if we didn't have Jesus to talk about too, you know, in the yeah. midst of this. And maybe we could actually enter into conversation with our neighbors who are reading, you know, the most influential influential fiction of this century, possibly, you know. Right, um, right. They are entering into the story through movies and through the books and everything. Maybe we can find a way to actually have a dialogue with them about truths that we have found that may also be uh, in what they are. And, you know, I mean, I, I think you can... You can make a lot of cases for that, and some things, you know, depending on the person, whether or not you want to uh, get too deep. But you know, there, there have been some really amazing spiritual and and I think godly conversations happening over things like you know the Game of Thrones books or things <laughs> like that, which are really not godly. I mean, they're they're about the right. the opposite of godly as you can imagine. But because there are truths in the story that are being represented and coming across, I think that a lot of people who are communicators, who are Christians, are really making some headway with people having that conversation. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really appreciated that part of your book. I thought it was brilliant the way that you were equating the two. And I love that part about, you know, just even – I think I'm, I had heard something about that with Zeus, but I had no idea that – that that passage that you know in him we live and move and have our being was actually from zeus first because and then i went duh i should know this because paul didn't have the gospels for one thing he you know they were written after paul and he was as much influenced by you know hellenistic philosophy as he was anything you know so it makes sense i'm going to talk to you about jesus i'm going to talk to you about zeus you know so very very interesting
Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a fascinating point there that Paul was very influenced by this in the sense, at the very least, that he had it memorized. Yeah. It wasn't that someone shouted it out to him. He knew it intimately. Like, so if we're talking about geek cred, he's like, yeah, I see all the, I see all the Greek plays. I yeah. know all the poems. I read them. I memorize them. Uh, so that's a, that's a pretty strong commitment to understanding the culture. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. Harry Potter, people who are saying they don't want to, they want to protect people from Harry Potter. I, I don't know. It has themes of death and rebirth, sacrifice, friendship, family. It quotes the Bible multiple times in the seventh book that I, I don't see where, I guess, I guess anything that people are passionate about to that level Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, Star Wars. I honestly believe it's because there's something in it that's stirring their hearts. There's mm -hmm. something in it that's drawing them, mm -hmm. that they're saying, ah, I want more of that. And I think our job as followers of Jesus is to step in and say, oh, I see why you think the story of Harry Potter is beautiful. It's because he's a hero and he protects the people around him and he's willing to give his life even for people who don't deserve it, to protect them from evil. I know a story like that, too. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that's, a much, that's the good news hmm. right there. Oh, I do want to hear more about that. Everyone wants to hear more good news. So if we find a way with whatever individual we're talking to, to say, what is the good news for this person? Where do we start? Then, yeah, they're going to spend the rest of their lives and hopefully the entire eternity unraveling that and following it to greater revelations of the good news. Yeah. And, and one more thing maybe as we're closing our conversation that just, that just hit me as we're talking about this too. We've been talking about how important the Bible is. And yet at the same time, it's even more important, you know, that our life conform to the one who gave us the Bible. Um, yeah. And as I'm thinking about that, I thought, you know, a couple of years ago, it was just like, Revelation. It, I guess it shouldn't have hit me like it did, but it just like you know how sometimes you hear a truth and you just didn't get it until right then, all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> and it yep. was like, well, that just hit me in the face. I just suddenly realized that. And and the truth, the idea it was during Lent a couple years ago. The idea that wow, Paul never met Jesus face to face. Like he never yeah. ever once, like the other disciples, um, they did. Um, Paul had to go before them and basically prove himself that he actually had encountered the same Jesus that they did in the flesh, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and they're like, this guy knows him, you know, and, um, and he didn't have the gospels to, to pull from. So, because as we already discussed, you know, the gospels were written later after Paul was already gone. Um, so the idea to me is just amazing and it's humbling to me that Paul knew Jesus so well that he was able to so freely speak of who Christ was, not because he was tied to a page necessarily, but because he really knew Christ. And that, that just hit me so hard a couple of years ago. And I went, mm. I went, oh, dear God, do I even know you a fraction of that well? Or is my knowledge of who you are based on the hundreds of books I've read about the Bible and the theology and the stories I read, how well do I really know the risen Christ? And and I think that, that these stories that you're sharing, to tie it back to your book here together, I think these stories are powerful reminders of the God who has been unleashed upon the earth, and he's enabling us to tell his story in so many different ways. That yeah. it, you know, And so I, I just think um, I'm so encouraged by reading your book and being reminded of that story again. Um, so thank you very much for writing Into the Fray. And um, I, I think that my listeners, if you have not had a chance to pick up a copy of Into the Fray yet, you should. I think you will benefit very greatly by hearing the story afresh and new again. Um, if you're a pastor, maybe you'd want to take a week and just read parts of the story to your congregation. Maybe on a you know a Bible study night or something, you could say, "Hey, I want to. I want you to hear this story in a fresh new way." Um, so all that is to say, back to you, Matt. Um, thank you. Thank you very much for your hard work and uh, the diligence that you put into writing a book like this. I, for one, really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Rick. It's my pleasure. It was it was a great experience for me. And uh, 
yeah, I'm excited to share it with people. Well, is there anything before we uh, we close out here? I, I do want to point people to Michaelatis.com. I, I think I got your website right, just off the yep. top of my head, um, and that's spelled M-I-K-A-L-A-T-O-S. Dot com. Uh, is there anything else, uh, any place else online? We've, we've mentioned the Storyman podcast. Um, there's, I guess we could mention NorvalRogers.com, uh, where you also write. Is there any place else that I'm missing where people can find you in the online world? No, there's links to almost everywhere at Michelotis.com, including links to the Storyman and Norval Rogers. Uh, you know, the only thing I don't publicly give people anymore is my MySpace account because I can't remember how to sign into it. <laughs> but everything else is fair game. You're not on MySpace? Come on, man. No, no, I'm on there. You'll see. I have my <laughs> avatar as a picture of Mr. T. So I I'm was out there. I was like the king of MySpace back in the day, and I, I thought it was because everybody liked my music so much, and it turns out it was because Dave Chappelle had had a Rick James skit. <laughs> and right around the same time that MySpace hit, um, I was getting like hundreds of thousands of hits on my songs. Uh, and I was like, that, holy cow, that, why am I so like popular? It turns out it was because people were looking up Rick James and Dave Chappelle. <laughs> and that was, back, that was my MySpace glory days back then. <laughs> That's really funny. So, well, one last thing before we go. I, I think that the NorvalRogers.com website is very clever. Even the name is, is clever. Tell us real quick, because a lot of people may not know uh, who Norval Rogers is, but they do know who Norval Rogers is, but they may not know him by that name. Why don't you tell us real quick? Okay, yeah. Norval Rogers is a website that JR and Clay, the guys who we podcast together, it's our our group website. So it's a blog, essentially. Uh, and Norval Rogers, the reason we chose that name is we wanted to, we wanted to just put cool stuff on the web, man. Like stuff from Coolsville, we said. And, uh, there's a guy named Norval Rogers who was born in a place called Coolsville and eventually took the name Shaggy. Shaggy. From Scooby Doo. <laughs> so that's his actual name, Norval. Shaggy Rogers. I think that is so awesome. And I, when I first heard your website, I thought, who is Norval Rogers? And I looked it up, and I was like, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> so fantastic. Well, Matt Michelotis, it's been a real pleasure, and thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. Thanks, Rick. My pleasure. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.